For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is good, Night Nation, as we welcome you into another edition of Two Nights and One Podcast. And for the first time since 2016, UCF coming into the two-lane game is facing a two-game losing streak, having just gotten down by Memphis and the Tigers. As what's good, Night Nation, Scott Adams here, along with former UCF standout Leger Doosable. And Dues, you know, a heartbreaker this past week up there in Memphis in a game again between UCF and Memphis that comes down to the wire, but this time UCF unable to close the door. A 40-yard field goal would sail wide left, but Dues, there there was a handful of other real key characteristics that, that played a hand in that loss for the Knights as a whole. Yeah, definitely. It's almost like a tale of two halves, right? Going back to even the Tulsa game, you know, the first half, I felt like the defense played really well in the Tulsa game, except for that last drive, giving up that score with three pass plays. And it's almost the same thing in Memphis. Like we end up giving up a drive at the end, but our offense was, you know, playing at such a high level that they came back and scored right before the half and then scored at the beginning of the, the, the second half. But our defense just couldn't stop anybody in the second half, just like in the Tulsa game. And it's been a tale of two halves the last two games. And we haven't been able to really make halftime adjustments and, and change up things. And adversely, the, you know, the, oppo- the opposing team has, has made great adjustments in the second half and has been able to click on our cylinder. So we'll, we'll definitely see what this team is about, you know, going into this week versus Tulane. Uh, as you stated, it's the first time we've had a two-game losing streak since, I believe, 2016. Coming up on this edition of Two Nights and One Podcast, we'll continue to take a look here at the Memphis game. What went right? What went wrong? How does this night team respond, not just this week, but for the rest of the season? We'll take a look at this week's opponent, the Tulane Green Wave, through five games. We'll hear from a former Tulane player, that being Orleans Darkwa. We'll hear from him as well as get Dew's keys to a victory and close things out, as always, with our Dew speech. But before we get to all of those, let's go ahead now and hear from this week's sponsor. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Two nights, one podcast. Scott Adams here along with Leger Doosable. And Doos, let's dive back into the the Saturday game, the Knights' 13-game winning streak against (laughs) Memphis. That that comes to the wayside, and 
UCF defensively had had its issues. However, let's get let's get to the offense first with what one could say might have been the most complete offensive performance of the season for for Dylan Gabriel and that night offense. Man, DG was just absolutely on fire. Yeah, he was he was cooking, and I would say this had to be his best game of his his young career, only being a sophomore, three hundred yard receivers, and you have to be excited excited for Ryan O'Keefe, a guy that had to step in with with injuries to, to Trey Nixon, and Jacob Harris has been banged up a little bit, and something that hasn't really been talked about is, is Jacob Harris's blocking on Saturday. It was monumental in some of those screenplays and him going down the field. And that's the little things that help you win games, right, Scott? And, and Jacob Harris not getting the ball, and he, and he had a touchdown catch, but not always receiving the ball. But it's the little as, other aspects that he does to help the Knights get victories. And, and him blocking down the field was monumental for us. And just it was just a complete effort by the, the offense. And I, even the running game was was you know at times it had some some big runs with you know uh, Otis having some big runs and and also uh, McCray having some big runs so you'd like to see that hopefully we'll get Bentavious back here soon um, that way we have another element to our offensive game with with you know a little bit more thunder up the middle but uh, the offense just played a, a magnificent game all around seven hundred and ninety eight. 798 of total yards on the day. That was 20 yards away from the school record. 96 total plays. That an an offensive season high in Dylan Gabriel. 601 yards passing a UCF record. Five touchdowns through the air. He had one on the ground and dues, I think, maybe one of the most impressive and telling stats of the day comparing this past Saturday to games prior, a donut, zero penalties for that UCF offense against Memphis. Yeah, and that was something that was really hard on going into the week, right, Scott? We had so many false starts versus the Tulsa game, and it came back to bite us in the end. And I think our offense really harped on that this week, not having the dumb penalties. We talked about it, the pre-snap penalties, right? You don't want to have those. You can have some, you know, combative penalties in between, but we didn't even really have those. I believe Matt Lee played a flawless game, and I'm so happy for the kid because it was ridiculous some of the threats he was getting from some UCF faithful. We're better than that, guys. We can't do this. This kid's 19 years old. He's going to learn. He's a, he's a young kid. He's going to get better with time. you got to look at the, the shoes that he's stepping into. Jordan Johnson, a guy that's played since his freshman year, that's, that's a lot of pressure on a, on a 19-year-old kid. And for him to bounce back the way he did, it, it shows promise for his future at UCF. Yes. And dudes, that's something I want to get to here today, fandom for, for Night Nation and, and tempering expectations and having expectations. Those, those are all good, but I think there also is a certain amount of reality that all of us need to be able to, to face from a, a season-to-season aspect. But we'll get to that in a second. Let's talk about that night defense and as good as that UCF offense was The night defense taking a a step backward, giving up 703 yards. We play without our leading tackler, uh, Eric Gilliard and and Brady White. You know, a week ago, you and I joked the kid's been there for what looks to be, you know, seven, eight years leading (laughs) that that Memphis offense. And and dudes, he, he carved up the Knights in that second half. He throws for six touchdowns and nearly 500 yards through the air. Yeah, Scott, he's been there forever because he's already working on getting a PhD. This kid has already got his master's at Memphis and is working towards getting a PhD. But me and you talked about it. I think he's one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the nation, not just in the American Conference. This guy is smart. He knows where to go with the ball. And not even having two of his top offensive weapons, he knew exactly where to attack. 
we talked about it all year long. We got freshman quarterbacks. Corey Thornton uh, has been welcome to court, welcome to college football the last two weeks, and it's going to continue. And, and this is part of his maturation. He's going to get people attacking him because he's a true freshman quarterback, and that's something that we're going to have to live with. I, I just I stated before earlier that we didn't really – I feel like we really didn't adjust on defense. and I, I feel like it's happened two games in a row. In the second half, we haven't really made the adjustments needed to, to be successful. And the good thing is on the first drive, they were driving and we ended up getting a turnover, something that we've really banked on all year long and was able to turn that into points. But uh, the turnovers are awesome, but we got to, at the end of the day, we have to stop people from scoring or we're not going to win games. Dude, as you talk about that, that youth in the secondary and the true freshmen that we're putting out there, but, but not just that, I mean, still banged up was, was Antoine Collier still banged up was, was Richie Grant. But then you look at that, that, that front, the front, and then, and then the, the linebackers as well, unable to get any sort of pressure there on the football game through, through 60 minutes of football. Yeah, and I think you stated it. Uh, not having your leading tackler, Eric Gilliard, in really hurts, especially on some of those um, those uh, shovel pass plays, that, you know, the one for the two-point conversion, the other one that went for like 50 yards to the house. I'm not saying he makes that play, but it's good to have a veteran in there to diagnose that play. And also, besides that, the second leading tackler, Eric Mitchell, is getting banged up. So we have, you know, Bethune in the game who's played a lot of football and Batiste who's played a lot of football, but they're younger guys, you know, and, and, and when you don't have your veterans, especially in the middle of the linebacker position, it really hurts. And and we've stated this before, too. We talked about our D-line thing, and it was the deepest group that on this team coming into this league year, but they haven't really, to be honest, they haven't played up to par as they did the last two years. Um, we talked about the pass rush games not being as crisp, guys being on different levels. And when you're rushing the quarterback, everybody has to rush together to funnel him into a small pocket. Well, Brady White, you know, he's, he made a couple plays where he, he got out of some, some tackles and it was able to prolong plays by getting outside the pocket. And, and it's like when our guys rush on the end, they're running into the tackle and, and they're not getting separation. And that causes quarterbacks to run to the outside and be able to, to buy time to throw the ball down the field as Brady White did and, or escape and get some first down because he definitely did that in the fourth quarter and it came back to kill us. And, and if we if they look at the film this week, this two-lane quarterback, he has the same type of mobility as Brady White has. And, and Pratt can get out of the pocket and run and he can hurt you. Yeah, true freshman quarterback we face off against coming up this week against Tulane. Dude, so many people want to look at, at the field goal that, that sails wide left and, and say and try to lay blame on, on one particular person. You've got over, what, uh, 170 plays during the course of that game on Saturday between yeah. UCF and Memphis. There were so many other opportunities that, that UCF had that, that was unable to take advantage of. How many different third downs, third and longs at that, that Memphis was able to capitalize on. Mistackling was also something. And then you could even go back to the, the second to last offensive drive going three and out. So temper the, the amount of, of uh, 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 nastiness, I guess we can say. We saw Matt Lee yeah. get some of it from two weeks ago. Now Daniel Obarski. And I think, dudes, this leads us to, to expectations and you know the success that this night program has had over the course of the past several years and getting to that that top of the mountain you as a fan you get you get a little bit spoiled and you think you're going to win every yeah. single game well a guy that has played as much football as you one it's tough to win football games and then two <laughs> it's game. tough to win <laughs> 75 80 percent of football games yeah, 100%. And just going back to what you talked about, you know, people trying to blame the kicker for the for the missed field goal. There's 
there's a coach that told me that it comes down to literally five plays in the game that change or shift the momentum for you winning the game or you losing the game. And for the fan base, I would like to break some of those plays plays down. If you look at it, I would say that the first one was probably the Otis Anderson fumble late in the game. Uh, that was a, a pivotal play because we, we score that. We, we extend the league. Then if you look at the onside kick, we get a personal foul after that. Knox is already out of field goal range. If we drive the ball, take some clock off, and potentially kick a field goal there, then Memphis is really up against the gun. Then if you look at it on third and short before the field goal kick, yes, the, the ball was a little bit behind Jalen Robinson, but as a, a veteran receiver, you would like to help your young quarterback out and make that catch. Also, after the onside kick, uh, the, the Jacob Harris pass on third and 10, if, if Dylan Gabriel gets a little bit more air on that, and you know, it's hard to blame any of the offense when they, when they put up almost 800 yards of offense, right? But if he gets a little bit more air on that and Jacob Harris can run up under, that's a touchdown. It's not even a first down. It's a touchdown and the game's over. So if you just look at those pivotal plays right there, and then you stated it, how many times did they convert on third and long in the fourth quarter? Four, fourth down and they converted in the, in the fourth quarter. If you look at those pivotal plays, those are the outcome of the game. A lot happened before that field goal kick. UCF should not have even been in that position to, to have to kick a field goal to win that game. And uh, talking about expectations, you're right, Scott. You know, we, we do get spoiled. and But the you know, the players and the coaches have already come out and said, you know, there's expectations, you know, when you come to UCF because of what's happened the last couple of years. And, um, you know, they said that they were willing to, to take on those expectations and, you know, things haven't gone as, as, as proper as we wanted to this year. But I would say from a fanboy fan base point of view, like you have to temper them, right? You go back to what was it, 2015, we were winless, Scott. So just think of that five years ago, we didn't even win a game. And before that, yes, we were winning conference championships every other year. Um, but you have to you have to go back and, and just take a step back and realize, as Scott said, it's it's not just hard to win eighty to seventy five percent of your games. It's hard to win one game, whether it's high school, college, NFL. Like it's literally hard to win one game because you got somebody on the other side of that ball that's thinking the same thing. They want that win too. Nobody wants to be a loser. Nobody wants to lose a game. So just winning one game is hard. So yes, we have to temper those expectations, but also. Reversely, yes, these are the expectations UCF has now because of what we've done the last couple of years. And Daniel Obarski, you know, dudes, he's he's going to grow from a situation like this. Had he ever been put in a, a situation to win a game in his UCF career just yet? No. Did it go the way he wanted? No, it didn't. But that is how you build and how you get stronger, not just as an individual, as a player, as a team. And if you think you're a Knight fan and you're mad because you lost the game, make no doubt about it. That entire lock room that coaching staff is probably not i'm not going to say probably is uh, a more frustrated and mad with, with the way they play oh 100 percent. i mean if the players and coaches weren't you know matter if that's even a word than than the rest of the fan base then there's a problem and i guarantee that that the coaching staff and those players are pissed off because of the expectation and and because what it means when you come to UCF, a team that wins the conference championship every year or every other year, because those expectations are on you and you put them on yourself, right, Scott? That's that's the whole reason why you come to UCF because you know you're going to compete to to win conference championships, to go to New York New Year Six bowl games, to, to to be the best team in your in your conference year in and year out, and that's something that those those players are prideful about. Like a guy like Richie Grant, a guy had that had never had a, a home loss before. Like you don't think that's really affecting him that he had a home loss? He that's something he could have hung his hat on. Like the whole time I was in college, I never lost a home game.
You know, you know what I'm saying. So you just gotta put it, put put it into perspective of how the players and the coaches are feeling. And I would just say, just have some patience. Um, this is a big game this week. I said Memphis was the biggest game of the year, and it was. You know, it was a game that we let slip away. Um, but you know, there's still a lot of football left, even even though it's a shortened season and and 2020 COVID season. There's still a lot of football left, and there's a lot of games we play. You gotta think Cincinnati still has to play Tulsa. There's been some rescheduling of games, so there's a there's still a long way to go. Yeah, this week coming up for UCF back at home in the bounce house. This will be just the second game at home in uh, East Orlando for the Knights. Three out of the four uh, first four games out on the road. And this is going to be a huge litmus test here, dues, for, for how this team responds after a, a game in which you lose by one point there on the road with all the the offensive numbers that you that you put up there this is kind of that that gut check yes maybe some of the goals that you initially thought uh, uh were going to be attainable it's going to be a little bit harder it's going to be harder now you got two losses here in the conference but as dues just stated this is covid covid 2020 <laughs> season there's a lot that can happen smu has not looked dominant despite the fact that they're five and oh they're undefeated in conference play uh it, and Memphis, they've got some warts as well. So a lot of football still left to play. And that said, this week's opponent, the Tulane Green Wave, a team that has now played five games on the season. Dues, they are two and, through, uh, two and three thus far. Their wins coming out of the conference, Southern Alabama or South Alabama and Southern Miss. And then they've most recently lost to the aforementioned SMU Mustangs. That game was decided by a field goal in overtime in which Tulane was able to tie things up in regulation and their true freshman quarterback getting picked off uh, in that first series of overtime. But Tulane, they lose their quarterback from a year ago who was very good. The run past Justin McMillan there for the green wave. But this true freshman thus far has been a big time bright spot for, for Willie Fritz in the green wave. Yeah, and if you don't think he's going to be uh, jacked up for this game, you got another thing coming. The kid is a local kid from Boca Raton, went to Deerfield High School. So he's going to know some of these players for UCF, and he's going to be jacked to come back home. I'm sure he's going to have a nice little fan base there for him to watch him play this game. Michael Pratt is a guy we talked about. It has shown some promise in the first two games, throwing for over 470 yards and just a little over two games, right, because he came into that third game, didn't start it, but came in and played in, the, in that third game. And also has eight touchdowns, four passing and four running. So this guy, as we talked about earlier, is a mobile quarterback that can get out of the pocket and hurt you. And he actually hurt SMU. They had a chance to win the game at the end of the game. If you watch the game versus SMU, he had a 24-yard scamper to put them in field goal position. But then the offensive lineman jumped offside and pushed them out of field goal range. So they just had to take it. They try to throw a hail mary at the end of the game to try to win it. Then goes into overtime and makes it. Makes a freshman mistake, throws an interception, and they lose on a field goal kick. But this guy went toe-to-toe with SMU and, and one of the best quarterbacks also in Shane Bouchelle in, in the country, not just in an American conference. And he almost almost you know helped Tulane get that win. So this is, this is a guy that's a freshman, but he's shown some poise in his freshman year. And dues, Tulane as a program starting to turn the corner. There had not been a lot of success, at least from a year-to-year basis. That's that consistency that every team, every program tries to, tries to be able to attain. Willie Fritz now here in his fifth season, back-to-back consecutive winning seasons, back-to-back trips <laughs> to, to a bowl game. And they are, they're run heavy, dues. I mean, they're, they're averaging nearly... Oh, yeah. 240 yards of rushing 
per game. And that being said, let's go ahead now and hear from a former Tulane Green Wave running back who knows a thing or two about toting the rock. And he'll be able to tell us a little bit more about the success that this Tulane team, this program has had here most recently. Well, let's go ahead now and welcome in former Tulane Green Wave running back Orleans Darkwise. He played with the Green Wave from 2010 to 13, rushed for nearly 3,000 yards in his career. And dudes, this guy was a touchdown machine, almost 40 TDs in his career, 39 of them. UCF and Tulane, tell us your thoughts on on Willie Fritz and just how the trajectory here of Green Wave football has really been uh, an ascension since he's gotten here. Willie Fritz has done a great job, a tremendous job, honestly, just uh, getting a a program back on its feet. Um, You know, obviously, while I was there, we didn't have too many winning seasons, but my last season there, we finally went to our first bowl game in a decade. And it seems like ever since uh, Willie Fritz came in there, it seems like now bowl games, the expectation, but kind of beyond that. Now they're going for, you know, trying to go for championships. And so it's, uh, you know, it's definitely been a sight to see for me and a lot of the other alumni that have been keeping up with the Green Wave. I think when you were playing, you guys were mostly in the Superdome, right? And then, uh, you know, I went for the first time back to Tulane to, to, to call the game last year with Scott. And I saw that, you know, Tulane had their own stadium now. So so how is that like going back to Tulane and seeing that they're really putting money into the program to, to really help it, you know, on the uprise? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's great, you know, for the program just to see that they really care about, you know, not just football, but all sports at Tulane. But to see them build that stadium. It shows that to recruits that, you know, they're very serious about, you know, having fans in the, out there and supporting that team and uh, putting money into that program. Uh, so uh, when I went out there, you know, it was great to see the stadium. It's just like, you know, it was it was fun to play in the Superdome, even though we didn't pack it up like that. But, um, you know, to see the stadium like that and to see that, you know, the, the students can just walk to the stadium and, you know, have a big crowd up there. It, it's really good. And also it comes with them winning. You know, I think obviously in any type of sport, the more you win, the more attraction you have to fans and, and students. So I think it's uh, great for the program and to see that they're really caring about it. Orleans, give us kind of a, an idea of, of what going to school was like in New Orleans. And for those people that have ever been to New Orleans, you know it's one of the most unique cities in, in all of America. So for you to be able to be a, a, a student, get your education, be a football player, but then have everything else that, that New Orleans has to offer, it's its own unique culture that's there. That's, it's really kind of unexplainable unless you've actually been there. Exactly. You know, it's it's so like you said, it's very unique as far as the things that are done there. Obviously, I think a lot of people know about Mardi Gras um, and just so much other th- attractions, you know, the French Quarter and downtown New Orleans. Uh, there's so much attraction there that, you know, but it also can be as a student a distraction if you don't take, you know, if you don't take everything seriously. So I, there's so much there. I think, you know, my, my first couple of years, my freshman and sophomore year, I kind of, you know, dabbled in everything that, you know, it had to offer. Um, obviously, the food is, you know, is unmatched. And I don't know if any of y'all, you know, been there and actually gone to some of the spots that, you know, they always talk about, you know, but it's very, uh, it's very fun over there. And you can get lost in it if you don't uh, realize it, you know, real quick. So I think my freshman, sophomore year, like I said, I was, 
able to, you know, dabble in a little bit of everything. And then, you know, by my junior senior year, I kind of, you know, said, all right, well, we've had our fun. Let's, you know, lock in. You know, once I realized that, you know, the NFL was a possibility and everything, I said, let's lock in. Um, you know, but obviously it's definitely fun. The city of New Orleans is fun. And if you need any food suggestions, I got you. <laughs> I was actually about to talk about that. Speaking of food, how was it, you know, were you able to keep your weight down because of that? Because I know me and Scott went there last year and the eatery is ridiculous there. And I love seafood. So that's something New Orleans is, is synonymous, synonymous with. They always have good seafood. And I, I went to so many different places. I felt like I, I had to go on a juice diet for a week after I left there. So how was that as a student athlete, like being able to keep your weight down and, and staying out of certain certain places, you know, the soul food places, the places with the gumbo and mm-hmm. jambalaya and all that? Because, you know, that, that weight can creep up on you quick with all that Man. sodium and, and fat. <laughs> You're right. You know, and just like you, I'm, I'm a seafood lover, too. So it was definitely a tough task. Um, but, you know, obviously you're there for a reason. You're there, obviously, to get your studies in and, and uh, you know, to win football games for me. And so, uh, you know, I kind of made sure I was strict as far as when I could have my cheat days and when I could, you know, and then when I would eat healthy and everything. Um, you know, obviously, as a freshman and everything, you feel like your metabolism is fast. So it's like you're good. You know, you could go out there and. <laughs> you know, have pounds of seafood and you, you wouldn't even gain a pound. But, you know, I think by my sophomore year and everything, I was just like, all right, let's be strict about it. But it, it can definitely get you, you know, there's, there's a lot of hole in the wall spots down the street at Tulane on, on South Claiborne that you can just walk in there and get the best seafood of your life. So you just really got to be smart about it. But like I said, New Orleans has its distractions. It has its attractions and um, you just got to be smart, like I said, and make sure that you do the right thing, uh, you know, as far as your diet's concerned. Orleans Darkwa, the former Tulane running back, join us here on two nights in one podcast. So, all right, here comes Tulane to, to East Orlando and, and UCF, the, the hard-fought loss here against Memphis just this past week. And, and, you know, Tulane has played in a lot of close football games this year. And they come now down to Orlando. You've got a, an, an angry football team here with, with UCF, a, a lot to play for, but at the same time. And I think that's where the league is starting to get better because evenness, the even keel here now in the American is so much better than maybe what it had been five years ago. Tulane's a big reason for that. But what, what can we expect now from, from perhaps this ground game along with the, this new true, uh, true freshman quarterback for Tulane? Yeah, like you, uh, I've been I've been very impressed with uh, the new, the new freshman quarterback that's been on the, on the center. I think he's done a really good job, especially as a freshman, to come in there and uh, you know play the way he has. And I really expect them, like you said, UCF uh, is probably angry about you know the uh, loss last week, but I think that um, Tulane would be the same. You know, especially with they've been in a lot of close games, like you said. And they just haven't been able to finish him. Um, I think that, you know, you're going to start to see a turnaround from them. I know uh, Coach Fritz has been emphasizing just finishing with that team uh, just based off of what I've known about them. Uh, so I, I think they'll come in there, you know, with a chip on their shoulder, ready to go. Um, they got a lot of tremendous backs uh, from what I've seen. I've been impressed with them as well to, uh, you know, get on the ground and, you know, just turn out them yards. So uh, they got all these different style backs. And I think, it'll, uh, you know, it'll be a challenge you know, for Tulane and UCF, both uh, as far as what they got to deal with uh, offensively. But I think uh, I think they'll be ready and come ready to play. Yeah, I know as a uh, as a, a running back, you have to be, as you just said, very impressed with the running game for Tulane. One of the top in the top running games in the nation. 
What do you think it is about the, the stable of backs that Tulane has that makes them so effective? Honestly, I feel like, you know, they, I feel like they can all they can do it all uh, as far as the backs that have been playing. I've been very in, in, impressed with Spears and uh, Henderson. I think his last name is yeah, Henderson. Henderson or Henderson. Um, from what I've seen with them, too, uh, I've been very impressed with how they they're able to, you know, make guys miss out in space. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, get uh, in beneath in between the tackles and, and churn out them uh, tough yards as well. And uh, I think they can, you know, make big plays at any moment. And so I think that's one of the things that I've been impressed with with them. Um, and like you said, backs can be interchangeable at times. And I think with the stable of backs that we have, it keeps everybody fresh. And so when the fourth quarter comes around, you know, whoever's got the high hand, he, you know, it might be, you know, he might have about seven carries within the game going into the fourth quarter. He's really fresh and ready to go. You never really know. So um, I think it's a challenge for UCF to kind of deal with all the stable of backs that they have because you don't really know who's going to have the high hand at that time. You and Dues can both attest to this. Playing at a high level in college, then then getting to the National Football League and, and just getting into that, that kind of fraternity and, and getting a taste of it and being able to have some success there. You know, you had the, the injury in 2017, and my guess is even before that, you knew how, how lucky, how special uh, it was just to be able to play in the National Football League. I know you want to be able to get back there and, and show just how much you've come back from the Achilles injury, but if, if you could talk a little bit to the audience about, you know, never taking things for, for granted. We see Alex Smith come back from a, a devastating injury in the NFL. And, you know, to bring it back to, to UCF, Mackenzie Milton, who is now uh, looking as if he's getting one step closer to coming back onto the football field. But but when it comes to, to playing at that high level, giving it your all, and then to be able to have it taken away from you, what have you learned from something like that? Well, like you said, just not taking it for granted. I, I remember speaking to the Tulane running backs uh, earlier in the year, um, on a Zoom call, and I was that was my story. Just really not taking things for granted and going out there, out there like it's your last play every day, you know. And I, I really remember when the Achilles happened. Um, I was just, you know, I was devastated. Um, and at that time, I thought, you know, that's it. Like I'm done. I'm gonna retire. It's, it's a wrap, um, you know. And I quickly kind of just snapped out of it. And I was like, yo, everything that I've really, you know, built up to this point. You know, um, you know, I felt like, you know, I had a great uh, 2017 season going into free agency uh, and I, I felt like I was going to get a big deal. And, you know, the chips just kind of just fell uh, how they did. And I could sit there and cry about it. I could sit there and be sorry for myself or I can get up and get to work. And uh, that's kind of been my mentality ever since. Uh, and so, you know, I just kind of for me, it's just leaving it in God's hands and knowing that, you know, I'm just going to do my part and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Um, so it's just for me, just having that mentality and, you know, everybody's been talking about it now ever since, you know, he's passed away. But that mama mentality's kind of always been within me, just kind of, you know, always realizing, you know, nobody's going to feel sorry for you. You might have a couple people that feel sorry for you, but what's that going to do for you? You got to go out there and work. You got to go out there and uh, bust your tail and, and uh, you know, leave it in God's hands. And uh, that's kind of been my mentality ever since. Yeah, and that's a, a great story. I have one similar, I, you know, I tore my peck and, in 2012 and you know a lot of people thought I was done uh, and I, I would never say I really in my head questioned myself because like you said I had that mentality uh, we both undrafted free agents and you know how it is you have to get it every single day like nothing's exactly. given to you nothing is given to you almost like 
kind of like a walk on in, in, in professionally, right? Like yeah, you're asked to do to do everything, and and you better not get tired because you're an undrafted free agent. You're the last man on the totem pole, so you have to do the extra work to make sure that you can can be seen on film, right? So like when when I when I told my peck, I was just like, well, it's back to square one for me, and it was kind of crazy. I was coming off one of the better years I had in my career. And I was on a one-year prove-it deal um, because, you know, how it is when you're under at the free agent. They don't want to give you the money off top. They want to make sure you can do it two years in a row. Yeah. So it was like me starting over from square one. And I was just like, I literally had the mama mentality. I was like, I'm going to really, you know, be ready from a torn peck in three months. And everybody was looking at me crazy. And technically, I could have been brought back from IAR because I was about 85% after three months. But our team wasn't good. So there was no need for me to go out there and risk, you know, another injury with the torn peck. But by that next season, I was back to 100%. And I, you know, I, I built all that equity. I had to build all that equity back up because once you get injured, it's like, look at you, damaged goods. So I, I really just, you know, started over from square one and, and built that equity up and was able to play 10 years in the NFL. So it's like, like you said, you can't take anything for granted. Like any play could be your last. And when I was on that ground for half a second, I was like, I knew something was wrong, but, you know, I had always bounced back. I'd never really been injured in football before. So I was like, you know, maybe I just, you know, pulled something here. I, you know, I'll be fine. But then they told me, yeah, when you pull your pick, that is tearing it. So I yeah. was done for the year. But, you know, I was blessed to be able to play, what, five more years after that. So, so like, like, like Norris or Orlean said, like, don't take anything for granted. You know, to, nothing is promised tomorrow. Like, you literally have to live each day, each moment as if it's your last. Orleans Darkwa, the former two-lane running back, and his green wave making their way down to Orlando here to take on UCF. Coming up on Saturday, 2 o'clock from the bounce house. He's back to 100% in Orleans. I know we're going to see you back out there on Sundays soon, uh, soon enough. Good luck to you. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Well, we'd like to thank Orleans Darkwa for jumping by here, sharing some of his story and some of his his time there in New Orleans, dudes. That's got to be such a, a unique college experience to taste uh, to taste a little bit of New Orleans, live some of it, you know, enjoy <laughs> some of it, but then obviously uh, uh, get back to business. And that's what the Knights are going to be doing here on Saturday here against Tulane. And, you know, both teams, I, I think we could both say they're pretty hungry. Uh, Tulane yeah. coming off that, that overtime loss. They've played in a lot of close football games. And now coming in here to Orlando, they're going to have a, a pretty fired up night football team on their hands. Well, 100%. If you look at Tulane, we just stated it two years in a row going to bowl games. They're trying to continue that trend, right? The upward trend is what we've talked about. So they want to go to another bowl game this year. So they have to start stacking some wins together because now they're two and three. And with the schedule being cut down, they have to, you know, I'm not 100% sure what the bowl eligible rules are, but, you know, no team wants to go to a bowl game. And is under 500, right? You want to go in with a winning record or at least a 500 record at worst. So Tulane's got to start stringing some wins together. So this is a team that's just as hungry as UCF is. And UCF losing two games in a row, which hasn't happened in forever since 2016, they definitely should be like rabid dogs ready to get on that field right now. They should be hoping that it was Saturday right now to get on the field to play Tulane on Saturday. Offensively for the Green Wave, dudes are averaging 36.5 points per game, nearly 400 yards of offense. We talked about the rush game, 232 on the ground. They got a tandem of backs. We talk about Henderson. He's got over 300 yards on the season. Cameron Carroll has nearly 300 yards, and he's got seven touchdowns, which is fourth in the nation coming into Saturday. 
Yeah, this tandem of, of backs, and we just talked about it with Orleans, is, is is a really good tandem. They go two to three deep, and then if you throw Amari Jones in there, you got four deep because he's Weapon X for them. He's a guy that is was in the, in the top uh, five in, in, in AAC in all-purpose yards with 1,600 yards last year of all-purpose yards and, and ranked in the top 25 in the nation. So this is a team that runs the ball effectively, and they're going to continue to run it because they want to protect their freshman quarterback. He's struggled once he's been in third and ten situations. So their job is to get him in third and manageable. That way he can use his legs if nothing's there to, to scramble to get first downs or to buy time to get first down. But this run game concerns me for Saturday because they're going to run the ball. They're one of the most effective running teams in the nation. Yeah, offensively, just 28% on third downs with that freshman quarterback. Dudes, let's get to some keys uh, to this game, and I think we'll, we'll begin with the offense. I, I think last week we saw exactly what this night offense wants to be every single game. You know, through the first three games, we got glimpses of that. We were uh, a clean, playing clean football offensively there uh, against Memphis. We, you set all those records offensively defensively for for Tulane they can be gashed they they've given up 430 yards per game through their first five and and teams are scoring on average 32 points per game yeah but the thing about this 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 Tulsa uh, defense is this defensive line is one of the top D lines in the nation if you look at three of their four starters they have a combined 100 starts between the top three defensive linemen. You look at a Cameron Sample, a guy that's going to be playing on Sundays, one of their defensive ends that can kick inside on pass rush and create havoc as a three technique. And you look at Patrick Johnson. Both of these guys are on the senior, uh, senior bowl watch list. Patrick Johnson already is close to, has, uh, I believe, almost six sacks this year, five and a half sacks. And if you go back to two years ago, he had ten and a half sacks. So this guy – can beat you with an inside move. It can beat you on the outside with speed. Our O-line, is their hands are going to be filled because this D-line can get after the quarterback, and they can create havoc in run game. And this defensive line plays hard. They play through the whistle. So that is something that, that the offensive line needs to be ready for this week because this D-line is probably the best D-line I've faced all year long. Patrick Johnson, eighth in the nation in total sacks. He's first right now in the league. And, you know, this is one of the better special teams units as well. We have not seen the return game really be a, a factor here, at least in terms of our coverage. Well, coming into this game, they're one of the top teams in both kick return yardage uh, along with punt return yardage, and their punter is leading the American in Ryan Wright. Yeah, and it's not just Amari Johnson, the returner. We talked about him. He's one of the most explosive returners in the nation. They're just coached really well. If you look at the SMU game from, from a week ago, this team on kickoff coverage, on punt uh, punt coverage, they get down and they create havoc. First, first they go three and out on offense. They kick the ball to SMU. The first punt gets muffed by SMU player because there were so many two-lane uh, defenders in his face by the time he caught the ball. He stayed at their punter. He puts the ball up high, and he lets his, his gunners get down the field and, and cover so this is a team that's coached really well. You can tell there's an emphasis on special teams, and they try to win that, that aspect of the game every week, week in and week out. So we have to have our ears up on special team, no no penalties, and we have to have those uh, those those coverage lanes because I remember early in the year we gave a big return to Gibbs from Georgia Tech on a, on a kickoff, and this guy, Amari Johnson, will make you pay if you don't have a lane responsibility. Dudes, keys de defensively, and now a week removed from what Randy Shannon and the rest of his defensive coaching staff were able to ingest, and the hope is you get Eric Gilliard back. The hope is 
Some of those guys that have been playing through injuries are are hopefully a little bit more, you know, back to, to 100%. I don't think we're going to see that maybe until the next bye week, which is now two weeks removed. We're in the midst of that, that three games. We get Houston next week on the road, and then it's that bye week. But but defensively here for the Knights, how does Randy Shannon and his unit bounce back here against Tulane? Well, Scott, it comes down to three keys. First and foremost, we have to neutralize this run game. We've been talking about it all so long. This is one of the top running games in the nation. They have two to three backs, Henderson Spears, and then you throw Amari Johnson in there. These guys are all have all different skill set. Hudson is more of the banger. He's going to get up in there. He can make guys miss, but he's he's going to drop his shoulder pads and he's going to run physicals. Spears is he's more of the, the more speedy back. And then Amari Johnson, they can do everything with him. They do a lot of you know speed sweeps with him. They give him some tosses out of the backfield, and he's a whole other element and a different athlete. So we have to neutralize this run game. Second, we have to be efficient on first and second down. We just stated it. This freshman quarterback has struggled when he's in third and long, 28% on third down. That's not going to cut it. We, we have to keep that up and, and have them converting at 28% on third down, right, Scott? Because the last two weeks we've been getting murdered on third down, and usually teams that win third gap down usually win the game, and we haven't done well on third down. So we do really well on first and second down where we cause them to, to be in second and eight or, or second and nine and to get an incomplete pass, and now they're in third and eight and third and nine. It bodes well for, for UCS de- defense. And then the third and most important key to me is we have to keep this kid in the pocket, right? The last two weeks, you know, with, with Smith going back to Tulsa and then Brady White, we let the quarterback get out of the pocket and, and not just scramble for first downs, but find open receivers. And that'll get you killed, especially on third down. So we have to have lane integrity. When we talked, what I talked about earlier, when we rush in the passer, it's like a funnel. You want to funnel that quarter, quarterback where he can't go anywhere. He can't go left, he can't go right, and he can't step up in the middle. Sometimes guys are so fixated on being on the edge that they create lanes and quarterbacks can step up in the middle, run, and buy time to throw the ball down the field. So we can't allow this guy to step up in the pocket, and we can't allow him to go left and right and run outside of our ends and create you know, first downs by using his legs or buying time to throw the ball down the field. Yeah, true freshman quarterback Michael Pratt a week ago had 52 yards rushing and two scores in the overtime loss against SMU. UCF and Tulane coming up Saturday from the bounce house. Kickoff slated for 2 o'clock. Knights are 4-0 and all-time at home against Tulane. And UCF looking to make it three in a row over the Green Wave. Knights getting the victory a season ago there from New Orleans. As always, we finish out all of our episodes of two nights and one podcast with what we like to call Deuce Speak. Deuce, through his infant amount of football he's played through the years, he's had a ton of coaches yapping at him, telling him things through the years. And so this week, dudes, what, what is one of those comments that a, a, a coach made to you from yesteryear that, that stands out that you remember? I think this one hits, hits really close to home, uh, Scott, because it really something that the team can lean on this week. It's adversity doesn't build character. It reveals it. So who you truly are when you're in, a, in an adverse situation will really come out. So we're going to see who we are as a team because we've had some adversity this week. We're not just building character. It's going to reveal who our, what our true character is. Yeah, trying to snap the two-game losing streak, the longest since 2016. That'll do it for another edition, Two Nights and One Podcast. We ask that you subscribe, like it, download it, 
getting that same sort of uh, uh, fixation every single week. We drop this every Thursday. He's Leger Doosable. I'm Scott Adams. UCF Tulane, Saturday from the Bounce House, 2 o'clock. Dudes, let's go get a bounce back victory and then on the road to Houston. Go Knights. Charge on. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.